how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Kenya Barris jokes he only started writing screenplays because he was a, quote, kid with asthma. But in reality, storytelling found Barris because of his love of reading. One of his first jobs was writing for the Keenan Ivory Wayans show, followed by writing gigs on Soul Food, Girlfriends, Are We There Yet, and America's Next Top Model. But he's also known for creating Blackish, Grownish, Mixedish, and Black AF, written as hashtag Black AF. On the road to selling Blackish, Barris wrote and pitched about 19 different pilot episodes with no success, but it taught him how to build worlds and how to create characters to inhabit those worlds. In this interview, Barris discusses his undiscovered pilot urbanity, how writers can mine from the lanes they know, why he prefers just talking over breaking story in his writer's rooms, how narration can haunt you, and how to defend statements as a writer. If you enjoyed this interview, look for the print version on Creative Screenwriting's website and join millions of viewers for the new YouTube video essay series, also called Creative Principles. Just the notion of I was a kid who had asthma <laughs> and for a long time, like I was the guy who was, you know, watching the stories and then, you know, I got, I grew out of it and I got to go outside and just, I do, you know, once you develop, I just was talking to my daughter about this, I developed that love of reading. Um, and if your parents can push it on you as much as possible, but it has to be something you do. And the stories and the way that the places they allowed me to go, which were so much different than where I, you know, my personal, you know, place that I was sort of boxed into. I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is magic. Reading is magic. And being able to do what we do is honestly magic. So that was sort of like, I knew I wanted to do something in this realm. I think I read in another interview that you did, you maybe, I know you're writing for television and wrote some movies before Blackish came out, but I think you wrote about 18 different pilots. What were some of those storylines? Were they kind of similar or, or what do you think made Blackish more of a success? It was so close. And I honestly, someone said 18 recently. I, I, I've, I've sold that story so many times. I really think it was 19. I think we had to go back and count, but it was a lot. 
Um, and, and that's not a, that's not something I'm proud of because it didn't pop. Like I'm sorry, but you learn more from your failures than you do your success. But I, um, I think that Lawrence Fishburne is the reason the show got picked up, you know, hands down. Um, and Anthony didn't, didn't hurt at all, but I think Lawrence Fishburne doing that, but it was a different look than we had seen. And Paul Lee took a chance when he was a maverick at sort of saying like, I want to give these people a chance to tell their stories in a different way than we've seen them told before. And I was, I think that was what we ended up winning for the show. So have you gone back and reread some of those scripts? Like, as, what are some maybe some unperceived value from writing those besides like experience? Are there old storylines you were able to use for anything? In some aspects, yeah. In some aspects, yeah. In some aspects, you know, I, there's ones that I went back and it's so weird. I'm like, I could probably sell this pilot right now. It was and get it like straight to series. Like, you go back and sometime it's like, you know, I'm not Aaron Sorkin in any way, shape, or form, but I bet you Aaron Sorkin could dust off like his senior year thesis movie and get it sold. You know what I'm saying? I think it's sometimes writing is so sort of like, like the fan, you know, who's, a, who's, it's the cool kids club. You know what I'm saying? And it was one of the reasons I kept trying to sell pilots every year because you want to stay on people's mind in that way. You want to stay on people's mind in a, in a way that you're thinking outside of the box of whatever show that you're writing on. Um, so yeah, I, I wrote a pilot called Urbanity and it was something I really loved. I just read it recently. And it was about um, a marketing company that dealt in urban marketing. Like they were the ones who, remember the Jay-Z Hewlett Packard commercial? Yeah. And like, you know, like they were, the, they're like the company that did that. Like you go, you know, that, that sort of fortune 500 companies come, come to and they're like, we want to talk to the kids. You know, saying like they were. And so I, it was this, and I was like, this would sell now. This would make total sense. So, there's things that you learn from just sort of creating worlds. I think that's one of the biggest things that I think a good showrunner does is <clears throat> more than just writing, you understand about world building. I think the more pilots you make, that's what you sort of, uh, that's a skill that you pick up as world building. What kind of led you into comedy? I mean, you, you talk about some very serious issues and you, you have plenty of jokes packed in. Like what, is it more beneficial to more people see it? Are you getting your message across in a better way because it's funny? I think I think that you get your message across in a much stronger way. I've said this in interviews before, like comedy is that medicine lets you take, you know, that medicine that gives you, you know, a spoonful of sugar with it. So, you know, it's like when you're little and they, you know, what flavor do you want your cough syrup? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's still cough syrup. But, you know, they figured out that if it tastes a little sweeter, you'll take it down more back. So I think that's what comedy can do instead of best. And it also makes you think because you're laughing, laughing, laughing until you're not laughing. And then you're thinking about, oh, my God, what was I laughing at? And I think that's really important and strong. So all these shows, you know, have some talk about race in them. Um, I know you've kind of been criticized for, like, are they the same show? And obviously they're not. But at the same time, like, you know, Boone uh, June Ho's Oscar-winning picture, Parasite, he always does class warfare. Do you see race and these issues is just unlimited potential for storylines and, and things to talk about. I tried to get desperately, I tried to get the 1619 series from the New Yorker, from New York Magazine, New York Times. It was on slavery. It was the most in-depth, you know, and I wanted to get that. It was all about slavery. I was like, this would be, this is my avatar. You know what I'm saying? I will spend the rest of my life because this is the Marvel universe of storytelling. 
So I think when people say, like, you know, it's rehashing Blackish, I'm like, yeah, I'm telling my story again. Most writers, if you look at Aaron Sorkin, you look at, you know, you, like, people tell their stories. Woody Allen has, you know, for whatever we say, good or, not, good or bad, I mean, the guy's fucking creatively a genius. It's the same story basically told over again. So I felt like it was important for me because the idea of what it is to be black in America cannot be summed up in an episode, in a season, in, or even in a series. I feel like it's a lot of stories to mine from that. And like, I got criticism for it, but one of the things like Juneteenth, people are like, he, just, he did a Juneteenth episode. And I'm like, yeah, and I would do another one because it's really important that people understand that this is an important day beyond what you might think. And I would, if I did another show, I'd want to do another one because that's one of my bucket list things. I want people to sort of look up and say, like, this is a national holiday that we, for all of us, black, white, or, you know, whoever, it's an American holiday. So I think things like that sometimes are missed because they feel like an easy, low-hanging fruit shot to take. But I really think when you sort of look beyond it and understand I could do a million different things. I'm not crazy. I choose to do these things because these are the, this is the lane I really know well. I know you've said in the past um, that, you know, writing is therapeutic for you. What are some of the logistics of your process? Do you like journal? Do you, you know, kind of keep ideas somewhere or is it more about conversations in the writer's room? I think it's a combination of the both. both. I mean, I think a lot of people's iPhones have become our journals and I'll, I'll read you something off my just write down crazy moments, you know, that I'm sort of going through. And um, um, divorce, I mean, getting married is like buying a car that the car salesman tells you when you're buying the car. Half of these blow up and will scar your whole body. But, but, you're, but it's a really nice car. And you're still buying it. And you're still buying the car, but not just buying the car, inviting all your friends and family to watch you buy the car. <laughs> knowing that there is a 52% chance that this is going to blow up and destroy your face. And people are still around the world are doing it every day. And so they, I, mean, I guess a little, I have to say, I write down little things and they become sort of concepts in my head. I also sort of really believe in a really lively writer's room. And I don't like to talk about story. You know, I like to just talk. And, the, and you find the story through conversation. I have an area or worlds that I'm interested in, and I kind of just like to get the writers talking around that world, around their experiences. I don't even let them necessarily know that we're talking about that story, and then it starts to form itself. And I think, to me, that's the best way to, to sort of build story. So the tagline for the new show is it's all about perspective, and obviously that's got several me- several meanings. When you're like in villain characters, what are some of the benefits of like the documentary style? We, we kind of see beyond just, you know, conversation and action, but what do you see as far as like a villain character? How does that help you do that? Well, a lot of writers think like narration is cheap, right? Like it's cheating. I personally fucking love narration. I guess I'm probably a cheater. I love cheating. But, like, there's, there's ways that narration can haunt you. You know what I'm saying? I was 12 years old the first time I saw a dead body. Like, anyone know, everyone remembers that line, you know what I'm saying, Richard Dreyfuss saying it, you know what I'm saying? It was, it, it sticks in your mind forever. Um, you know, I remember the Blade Runner conversations, to narrate or not narrate. But I feel like, so to get away from that cheat and to get away from that device, I think that the, the sort of device of a docu- Thing, it allows you to get behind the action. It allows you to sort of get inside of things. And I really like pulling the curtain back and explaining things in a way that people haven't 
necessarily heard before or, or doing it in a sort of edutainment sort of way without making it feel corny and sac- or saccharine. And that's what the docu-form allowed me to do. It allowed me to sort of do my sort of blackish things where I could go into, you know, <clears throat> montage segments explaining this or explaining that, but do it in a way that actually felt like it fit within the storytelling in a way that didn't feel contrived. I know you kind of went back and forth with like the decision to actually be in this show or not. I think you spoke with Larry David about Kirby enthusiasm. Um, I heard you say one interview, you wanted to say some things that were so personal. You literally wanted to be the one to say them versus like an actor. What was some of the thought process behind that? Well, I think there were things that I want. I fucking hate white people. I mean, I don't hate white people, but I'm saying like, I I was a comment that I said, and I knew what I, when I was saying it, I didn't I, half more than half, you know, half my writers are white. You know what I'm saying? Um, my, my, a lot of my relatives are white. I knew that on face value, how that could be perceived. And I also knew that what I was saying was that there's a top dog in that statement, white people stood for just mainstream America. You know what I'm saying? It stood for just sort of like, it was the idea of like the box of success. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like, to say that, to book in the show with that, there might be a lot of actors who are like, I'm not saying that, or I don't want to say that, or they shouldn't be. But I felt like I was prepared very much so to defend that statement and to, you know, to not feel like I'm backtracking and saying it because I don't hate white people, but I felt like the character, sometimes you feel like I fucking hate dogs. And you really don't, right? Love dogs, you know what I'm saying? What you're saying is the notion of pets and the notion of like animals that can sort of, you can't really blame them for you know, eating up your, you know, like the idea of like, sometimes those things fall into a bigger conversational piece. And I wanted to be able to explain and defend and hopefully expand those conversations in a way that I'm not sure, you know, an actor could do. And I honestly feel like if an actor had played that role, who's far more talented than me, I don't think the role would have been the same. I don't think the show would have been the same. What's the challenge of putting that in the first episode? Like, how does that make you rethink the rest of the season or what's going to come after that? Um, I was like, you just have to, we're going to let our balls hang out. He's George Jefferson. You know what I'm saying? He's George Jefferson. He's honky's all, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's that character. And we hadn't seen that character in a while. And I was like, well, let's let our, let's, let's, let's go for it. And not in a sort of, you know, exploitive or arbitrary or just trying to sort of be salacious way, make it all grounded in, in real feelings that you sort of are, ping-ponging back and forth in your in your head as an African-American man who's had some success while raising a family every day. Like, how, what are those things that I deal with? What are some of the differences in writing for Netflix besides that you can, you know, possibly say more than you want to versus some of the, the network shows you've done? Well, that's one of the things that you just brought up is one of the big things because being able to author your demise is <laughs> a very scary thing. You know, saying like literally being able to author your demise. And so I think there is a place that you can really do that. Um, you know, I think that the binging aspect, I had never done that before, like having all the episodes done before they're, you know, they're shown and then being able to see view at one time. It's a certain, there's a way that you have to write for that, that I'm still learning because you want people to sort of like want to watch all the way through the series. I really, you know, I do miss the notion of being in people's house every week with a new episode. Um, that is something that I enjoy, but I also think that there's something to be really gained from taking a weekend of people's time for them to sort of just dive in on you. 
does it change your writing process? Are you thinking more about, you know, how they're going to watch the show as far as like, do do the storylines need to carry on or do they need to be more individualized and that kind of thing? Yes, it did change my writing process. I need to probably change it more, (laughs) but it it was a new experience and it did change how I approached the storytelling. You want it to have some through lines, which I think the, the documentary really helped me with. Um, you know, I think like the serialized nature of seven of the last two in particular, you know, was really nice to have. It felt like a two-parter. Um, I think seeing, tracking the emotional relationship between myself and Rashida's character was really important. I think those things were things that I, you know, you do in a different kind of way. You see the ebbs and flows in a different kind of way. I mean, most of the work that, that you're known for is very personal. Uh, literally, you're in this one. I think I heard Rashida Jones say that your house is very similar to this house and a lot of these storylines. What were some of those challenges maybe you didn't didn't expect to kind of come across as far as like acting and running everything and writing everything? Every single challenge. I didn't realize how much and on the acting thing is act, they have the hardest job in the world. I think the writing is a different in, in some aspects could be equally if not more important part of the process but i think actors you know i was you know you're you're having a horrible you've had an argument with your significant other and it's kind of a nasty argument and they call you to set and you have a 5k camera pointing at you and you're not just born gorgeous you're one of those people who aren't just born gorgeous and you have to hide everything going on and then be be funny five times in a row with everyone else. It's a, you know, that's a very difficult sort of lane to, to draw. I mean, we do it as writers, we have to go in the room, but you don't have a camera pointing at you that everyone's going to be seeing that you're trying to hide your emotions and create other emotions in front of other people who are doing the same thing. It's a very difficult job. And there's a lot of sitting around. So that was something I wasn't really prepared for. Um, writing for yourself is hard too. It's weird. You know, you're like, you know, I think that I like it, and it actually makes you, in some aspects, a better writer. But, like, you know, you're like, I won't, I can't, that doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth, and you're changing it, you know, as you're writing it. But it also makes you think about how things come out of other piece, people's mouth differently. And I think that's what every actor should, even if it's just a role or an acting process, take part in the acting process because it changes you. You're definitely at a point now where you're, you're kind of letting it all hang out, as you said. When did you start to show up some of those vulnerabilities? Is that kind of what changed in addition to maybe Lawrence Fishburne, like some of those pilots you were writing? Is that what changed your work, being more authentic and vulnerable? Um, I think so. I think it was the notion that some of the best comedy has heart in it. You know, and the sweet's not as sweet without the sour. You know what I'm saying? And it's like when you're when you have a baby and you notice how babies love to suck lemons, you know what I'm saying? You're like, what? They, it's, the, it's, it's, it's turning their taste buds into a way they hadn't really ever, you know, experienced before. But then it makes that, you know, that lollipop so much sweeter. And I think that's the same thing with writing is that you need that balance of flavor to sort of really make people understand what they're getting. So I've heard like, uh, some other comedians, I forget who it was. It might have been like Jerry Seinfeld, and and the stand-up. They might say not not to talk about money or something like that. That might not be relatable. Obviously, your newest show is about that, about how it affects uh, black men or black culture, when and where to spend money, some of those things. Where were you precautious about doing that, or was that always the idea? Is to kind of is that the main point of the class and putting yourself in that situation? 
Um, I think that was the main point. I think we wanted to sort of like ground it in the reality of that this is actually really my life, but also show that this is a, a dynamic that we haven't seen from Black America before. And with even with all that being said, some of the same problems that the Ebbins faced on Good Times, you know, the Barristers are facing on this show because there is a sort of lineage of the trauma that it is to be African-American in this country, you know what I'm saying, and, and still not have completely dealt with some of those, you know, the, the trauma, you know, the generational trauma of, of slavery and those things I think is really important. I think in your, uh, I read one interview, it might have been Hollywood Reporter, you were kind of talking about a lot of, um, like, black critics are actually will pay in the show for whatever reason what do you, or is it something that maybe they're not understanding or what's kind of do you do you use any of that to fuel your writing or change the writing and then kind of what do you think maybe critics are missing about your shows um i don't know i mean because it's hit or miss you know what i'm saying i think that you know it's hit or miss i think one of the things that i really do see is that oftentimes there's so few of us you know in terms of black creatives that there is a, an extra added layer of responsibility. You tell a story that it's supposed to sort of somehow magically hit all the marks of what perceived quote unquote blackness is. And I don't think that there is a, a true perceived, you know, blackness. I think that it hits a lot of different marks. And I think that's sort of part of my journey and part of my mission is to continue to expand that, that definition of what blackness in America is. Do you feel like you're staying the course? I mean, especially with everything in the news today and the way things are changing and being, I guess, more publicized maybe than they have been recently. Um, do you feel like you need to do more than you're doing or is it more about just sticking with the the comedy and the things that, you know, people are going to see in maybe a lighthearted way and, and maybe change some minds that might not be changed otherwise? No, I'm, I'm definitely expanding the things that I do. But I feel like I want to expand the things I do. I feel like... You know, my lane will probably be my lane, I'm saying, in terms of the things that I talk about. But I, as a producer and as a writer, you know, I do want to take other steps. But that you'll still see the sort of cohesive narrative of, like, the voice that I'm, ta- that I'm telling those stories with. Even if it's a drama, you'll still hear the same. You know, I think that Aaron Sorkin's a great example. You still hear his voice come out in the stories that he tells. Um, but I definitely am looking to produce a lot of different stories from a lot of different writers who were, you know, telling things that I wouldn't talk about, but I do want it to be on brand with the things that sort of fit the worlds that I'm trying to create. What are maybe some misconceptions you had about the industry that you've, you've kind of come to realize in, in show running some of these series? I think the notion of broad characters. I, I think the idea that, you know, make creating truly flawed characters of color sometimes has its challenges, but I think it's really, really, really important. That we, you know, you can sort of get caught in the notion of like, you know, it, you sometimes want to make sure you're not creating a stereotype, you know what I'm saying? And if you are creating a stereotype or if you are, you know, propagating a stereotype, it comes from a, a place of like you want to, you're aware of what you're doing and you're doing it for the purpose of, you know, of, trying to say something with that character. So I think that was, that's, that's a hard sort of line to walk sometimes. Do you have any advice about, it seems like you're very prolific. You've got a lot of credits to your name. Um, you seem to be pretty busy with everything. You've, and they've got tons of stuff maybe in pre-production or, or, or in the works. What, what kind of inspires you to write as much as you do? It was money. <laughs> I mean, it was 
you know, it was for sure. Like, you know, like, you know, I had a family and I wanted to be successful and take care of my family. But I mean, and I wish I could say something else as a clean, you know, a more lofty answer. That was the thing. But I think after I started getting into it and actually having some of the things that I thought, you know, you wish for, not even show running, but just getting in rooms and actually seeing on it, I started realizing that I wanted to be really good at it. I have a super competitive nature to me. And I started feeling like, you know, I wanted to be the fun. I wanted to be in the room and feel like I was amongst the best. I guess the same thing with athletes. I think like you dream of going to the NBA because you want to be famous. You want to be rich and famous. But once you get there, you're like, I want to be the best. And that moment clicked in for me. And I feel like I want to be the best. <laughs> I want to be the best. I do. When it's all said and done, I'm competitive and I, well, always, but I want to be in the conversation of like, you know, and I think that I have some time to try to like put up some other things. I want to be in the conversation of like, I, I, I did it. I want to win rings. Is there anything else you want to say about anything we might have missed or any details you can say about coming to America and maybe what it was like to write that sequel? I know it's probably pretty under wraps, but just maybe any uh, feelings for writing that sequel? I was amazed that I got the opportunity to do it. I, I have not really been able to. It's been so disconnected. I have no, I've, it's with the, the pandemic. I haven't seen, I'm not connected to it yet. But it was, you know, I, I felt amazing being out the opportunity to do it. I think something that I will say about Black is like that I don't say often is we deserve <laughs> I don't think I, I, I really feel like I want to tell people go back and watch it. I'm saying like it's, it it works on a I never think like that about myself. It works on a lot of levels. Even when I'm shitty as an actor, it works for the show. And I'm saying it actually works for the character. And I feel like there's so we get so few opportunities as people of color to do things outside the box. But this getting that kind of even in the conversation of it, it changes the next conversation for the next person. And I really want that to be what it you know what the sort of outcome of it is and that is our show thanks again for tuning in if it's your first time make sure to hit that subscribe button on soundcloud or itunes also check out the new video essay series on youtube called creative principles and give us a review that's one of the best ways to help share these interviews thanks again